Welcome to the Squirt to Stab podcast with Tony and Pat. What is up, Pat? What's up, Tony? How are you, sir? I'm good. Nice and cold here in uh, the suburbs of Chicago today. Yes, it is nice and cold here in Cincinnati as well. A little bit dense snow. It was terrible. I was excited to shovel until I realized it was like the Lake Michigan snow that I have grown accustomed of not having to deal with for quite some time. Yeah, I haven't shoveled snow yet, but I will right after our show. Yes. So um, why so why do you think I'm real excited today? Because you love stuff about uh, paranormal stories and hauntings. Yes, and, I do. And uh, being scared. So. Well, I don't so much like being scared, but it, it is something that I'm intrigued with. But, you know, I, yes, all those things are true. But the guest that we've been talking about for months... Um, is here with us today so and i didn't think it was going to happen right um I thought you were so, lying to me i thought well, you were ghosting me <laughs> well let me ask you this tony if i told you that annabelle you know the movie annabelle yes i do conjuring yes i do the amityville whore watched the original one when i was very young and shouldn't have the nun i haven't seen that one actually and I the haunt okay and the haunting in Connecticut. Yeah. What about them? Okay. What if I told you those were based off true stories? Oh, I I would say, Pat, you're messing with me. <laughs> <laughs> you're so excitable, Tony. No, I'm just okay. Yeah, I'm the excitable if, boy. And I would say I would say poppycock. Is that a real right. word? I heard someone say it once. I don't it's know. It's the name of a great popcorn. Um, oh, is it? Okay. Yes, and I think it's when something is like baloney, like you're yeah. full of baloney. Um, but I, so yeah, all those are, are based on loosely off a true story, and not only that, but our guest today is the grandson of Ed and Lorraine Warren. He is the director of the Warren Legacy Foundation for Paranormal Research. So he is an exorcist. He goes by many titles. He travels the world uh, and helping people, exercising demons. And now I'm getting to, to a point where I probably shouldn't, I should discontinue my description because our guest is going to explain to us what all this is, what all this means, what he does. But welcome to the show, Chris McKinnell. Hello, Chris. Thank you very much. Thank so, you very much, guys. It's a pleasure well, to be it, here. Yeah, I know you're super busy. I know we spoke first months ago. You were in, was it Scotland or England? It was one of the... That's right. It, yeah, so... It was in Scotland. You, Scotland. Um, and now you're in Costa Rica, uh, which is something we can, you know, probably dive yep. into about why you travel, what you're doing. Um, so... Did I get my intro right? Did I say anything that seemed a little insulting to what you do or did anything that you thought, oh, Pat, you really are undervaluing who I am? <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. I think you did a great job. Thank you. <laughs> right. So I think everyone right now is probably sitting waiting, okay, what on earth is it that you do? Well, the first thing I am is a student. Okay. I travel to learn. Uh, you see, the paranormal presents itself differently depending on the cultural and spiritual beliefs of the region. 
mm-hmm. for instance, you're never going to um, see a Hindu demon in a Christian family. Okay. But it just doesn't happen. It's always going to be a Christian demon in a Christian family. And that's All because right. that's the way the people, that's what the people fear. That's what the people uh, um, believe in. And therefore, it terrorizes them more. And that's what these entities want. They feed off of that fear. But mm-hmm. I go around, I help people, I learn, I spread the word about what the uh, foundation is doing. And here in Costa Rica, I'm working on a, a few different projects, actually. Um, some exciting things for the future, ways we can start helping people in a more direct manner. Well, maybe not more direct, because there really is nothing more direct than um, going into people's houses and helping them get rid of entities. Right. But yes. we. That's basically what we do. Uh, I also am responsible for overseeing the foundation and making sure that we have got the best people possible all around the world and helping them to do their jobs better. Okay. Very cool. So, um, so what, what, so you're the grandson of Ed and Lorraine Warren. Um, they are, they are very, they're probably the most, I would say, and lack of a better term, the most famous people within the, I guess, ec- the, the world of exorcists and exorcism. Um, In the they, paranormal world. Yeah, that, right. that's normally what the they par- they call it. The paranormal world. And and really, they were being interviewed. They were in what would you say main almost in a, in a mainstream way back when people this is way before like movies that glorify these things like uh, the exorcist and all these things i mean they were on the front line of this long before any of that is that would you say that's true well not they kind of caught a wave i mean they started in their childhood they were exposed mm-hmm. to this stuff my grandmother was always a psychic mm-hmm. uh, from the time she was about seven or eight years old when she had right. her first vision but my grandfather grew up in a haunted house and in 1952, they started the New England Society for Psychic Research. And they started investigating cases and famous hauntings. And they, they were artists. So they would, uh, <laughs> they would go to a house that they knew was haunted. They would paint the house on a, uh, a plate. And then my grandfather, Ed, would send my grandmother to the front door to try to sell the plate as a way to get into the house. Uh And then my grandmother would use her abilities to figure out what was actually there. Really? Okay. And then in um, the early 70s, now you you may not know this because you're a lot younger than I am, but in the 60s, the paranormal really took off. Everybody, because of the new age stuff and hippies and all of that, people were fascinated. Then there was Rosemary's Baby and The Omen and The Exorcist. And mm-hmm. back in the 72 or 73, my grandparents were working on a very, very public case in um, Lindley, Bridge, Lindley Street, uh, Bridgeport, Connecticut, where I was born, okay. as a matter of fact. Okay. And... <clears throat> It was so famous that the streets of Bridgeport were completely gridlocked. 
everybody wanted to go there. Everybody wanted to check it out. And the police were going insane. And, of course, the news got a hold of it, and my grandparents became quite famous right then. When Amityville hit in, uh, I believe, 76, um, they were invited into that house by Channel 5 News. And they went in uh, with the news, and after that, they became a household name. That's when they became super famous. Um, they actually started doing lectures in the late 60s uh, because of their paintings about hauntings they had been in. And somebody had suggested, you ought to talk about these paintings and, and talk about your ghost stories. So that's how they got started on that as well. I see. So they started off as artists first, and that's what they were really doing before they were asked to tell the stories of their paintings and of the, the haunted, the the... I guess the areas where they were able to feel spirits and and have some kind of a engagement with spirits is right. Well, that my my grandmother is grandmother. the psychic. My grandfather had no abilities whatsoever. I see. So she started when she was seven or eight years old. Did she ever tell you how that came about and what what was what was it like for her first uh, experience yeah. with that? Yeah, yeah. She um, went to St. Charles. Uh, parochial school, same school that my mother and I both went to at one point in our lives. And <clears throat> it was Arbor Day, and they were planting a tree, and she saw the tree full grown. And she mentioned it to a nun, and the nun said, we, we don't talk about those things. So she was already being taught, this is something you hide. Oh. Just like most children are taught, these things are not real. When they, when they say, oh, I see colors around Grandma, or Grandma came to visit me last night. Well, Grandma's dead. She didn't come to visit you. That's mm -hmm. your imagination. Yeah, but no, Grandma probably did come to visit. I see. So, yeah, and now, going back now to your grandfather, he, you said, grew up in a haunted house. Yeah, yeah. Now, did... um, the, the, the landlady of the house, uh, who had died, would be in the, standing in the hallway, scared the crap out of my poor grandfather at the time and he would tell my grand my great-grandfather and my great-grandfather didn't believe in ghosts wouldn't mm -hmm. believe in it and just thought he was making up stories but it had an impact on my grandfather he never forgot it right so and then how does he know about how old he was when he experienced that uh you know honestly i can't remember but but saying that he has no ability but he saw that is that basically saying that pretty much most children are typically have some sort of ability to see just spirits and and such um i do believe that all children are born with some ability that's mm -hmm. true but there's also uh two different ways that ghosts manifest they can manifest physically or psychically Mm -hmm. And if this ghost happened to manifest physically, then anyone could see it. Adult, child, wouldn't matter. I see. So when a psychic says they feel a presence, then um, if they see the, the spirit, that likely means most people should be able to see them. But a psychic no, is no. the only one. No. No. Uh, if the psychic is the only one in the room who sees the spirit, then she's seeing it psychically. 
Okay, so phys- there's physically or psychically, basically, right. ways If of it's a physical manifestation, then it's really there, and anybody can see it. Okay. So when, when did your grandmother, when did Ed and Lorraine, uh, at what point did they decide, hey, because not only now, there's a lot of people that make a living off of just having communication with spirits. But a li- what I feel like what Ed and Lorraine did is they decided that there was a reason there there was a space for them and a need for them to get involved to exercise certain spirits or i guess in a better term demons well it, no uh my grandparents were not exorcists they were exorcists they were okay no, so no they, they were not they were not exorcists. oh excuse me i i i need to change my note there so um at what point did this turn into um, your, cause I know your foundation, which we're going to get into, you have a huge network, uh, uh, of resources for people that need help. Um, at what point did, did that get turned into, uh, into the foundation of what you currently do? Well, they started, um, because as I mentioned, because they were fascinated by the paranormal and they wanted mm-hmm. to understand what they had experienced by, by researching these other people and what they had done then very soon they realized that there were people who needed help and they wanted to help them that that was their goal and they never took money to help anyone in their lives and I'm proud of that I don't either but they about I would say as I mentioned, 1952, they started the New England Society for Psychic Research. But I would say it wasn't until about 1960 that they started to build up enough of a reputation that people were actually getting a hold of them when they had hauntings. I see. And that's when we get introduced to the doll and we get introduced to some of these other stories that are either well-known or, or maybe not known or and maybe one day they will be more known. Uh, but and, and that's how they began. I I would assume getting involved in some of these, I guess, infamous tales that uh, the general public knows about. Right. Yeah. Nineteen sixty-eight. Uh, Annabelle came home. <laughs> right. So yeah, let's talk about it. When you say okay, came home, what exactly do you mean? Well, that was the name of the third movie. Annabelle comes oh. home. Oh, <laughs> but uh, in in 1968, uh, I was four years old, and just to put it in context, because in the movies it's my mother that's the kid, and she was already a mom. And um, in 1968, there was a nurse who was given a Raggedy Ann doll by her mother, and. They, the two nurses that lived together loved this doll and they would sit it at the table with them and you know when they were eating and one afternoon or I don't know one evening the doll's arms lifted up onto the table and put them up there and they thought oh there must be a ghost in the doll so they right. contacted a friend who was a medium and the medium came in and the medium got it completely wrong uh, completely wrong. She uh, felt that this was the ghost of a little girl named Annabelle who had been killed in a car accident outside in front of the house. 
Mm-hmm. Now, the nun or the nurses, being very compassionate young ladies, immediately felt for this girl. They bought it jewelry and they took it to bed with them and they, you know, had sat it down at every single meal. They kept it with them all the time because they felt bad for this little girl, this supposed little girl. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that's the way these negative entities present themselves. They'll present themselves in the most empathetic way possible. You know, oh, look at poor me and come love me so that they can create an emotional attachment which will then turn into a spiritual attachment. At that point, things often turn dark. And that's exactly what happened in this case. Okay, now what you're telling us is the actual story of Annabelle. Right, not what you see in the Annabelle movies. The Annabelle movies are absolute Hollywood fantasies, and you shouldn't take them seriously at all. I believe it's Conjuring 2 that they briefly go over um, the true origin of Annabelle. Right. And so with with this, I, I, and I see pictures to this day, and I saw one recently you posted uh, in Costa and I believe, is, is Annabelle in Costa Rica right now? No, no, that's a very old photo, actually. God I see. knows, I wish they hadn't used it. I, that was 220 pounds ago. <laughs> oh, good for you. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was embarrassing. Um, mm-hmm. But um, yeah, no, I'm. I'm. That was a, a newspaper story that they did on me down here. Uh, I'm for some reason. I'm. They're. They're very excited about my being down here. I've been on television uh, about five times. Mm-hmm. Uh, radio, newspapers. It, it's kind of overwhelming, really. It's not something right. I'm used to, and not something I ever saw. Mm-hmm. So. The story going back to Annabelle, how did Ed and Lorraine get involved with with that? Well, with that? Uh, the girls called a, a priest who happened to be a friend of my grandparents. And he was at the Archdiocese of Hartford, Connecticut. And the priest called my grandparents to check it out. As soon as my grandmother saw that doll, she knew it was demonic. Uh, the the reason the girls had called is because one afternoon they they started feeling really creeped out in the house and Annabelle would not be where they left it at the end of the day you know Mm -hmm. when they would come home Annabelle wasn't where they had left it one time Annabelle was at the front door waiting for them Uh, and they would find notes in parchment paper and crayon left around the house and they didn't own parchment paper or crayons Hmm. So that was they were really getting creeped out. One Sunday afternoon, one of the boyfriends was sleeping on the couch, and he woke up suddenly, and he said, I just had a horrifying dream that Annabelle was on top of me and choking me to death. And he got up, and he picked up the doll, and he threw it across the room, and he said, you're just a stupid doll. You couldn't hurt anyone. As soon as he said that, three claw marks raked across his chest with blood oozing out through his shirt. Jeez. And that's when they called the priest. And the priest called my grandparents, and my grandparents brought it home. Now, in the beginning, they, remember, no one taught my grandparents. They had to learn it all on on their own. They really didn't know what they were dealing with or how to deal with it. And so for the longest time, for about four years, four or five years, 
they had Annabelle sitting in a chair down in the basement. And one at one evening, um, Father Bill Sherbino came to the house. He was a friend of ours. Mm-hmm. And he had a brand new car he wanted to show to my grandparents. And he said to Ed, Ed, I hear you have a doll that attacks people. And my grandfather said, that's right, Father, it's downstairs. Would you like to see it? So they went downstairs, and Father Bill, just like that boyfriend, walks up to Annabelle, picks it up, and throws it across the room and says, God is stronger than the devil. And my grandfather says, that's right, Father. God is stronger than the devil, but no man is. Well, that night, as Father Bill was driving home, this bright white light came straight at his car, and just before... He veered off the road and into a ditch. He saw Annabelle in the center of the light. And the car was completely totaled, and Father Bill's leg was uh, broken. Another time, my grandparents were driving through um, Pennsylvania. And Pennsylvania's got places like Bethlehem and Paradise and mm-hmm. Lord's Valley. And my grandfather said, not even Annabelle or the Annabelle Horror could bother us here. Right. As soon as he right. said that, and they were on Route 84 in, uh, in Pennsylvania, and as soon as he said that, on an empty Route 84, a truck about a quarter mile behind them, their car was slammed from behind, and the car uh, skidded off the road and into a ditch. They were unharmed, thank God. And the truck driver stopped, and he said, I could swear it looked like something hit you, but there was nothing there. So the truck said he saw them get hit, but by nothing. Exactly. And this was your grandparents who got hit by something. Yes. So how did they take possession of this of the doll? As I said, as soon as they saw it, and the girls were more than happy to get rid of it. Right. You know, so as soon as they saw it, they knew they were dealing with something that was not human. And right. that's why they got it. Mm-hmm. Now, at the beginning of the interview, you mentioned something that uh, there's there are certain certain faiths attract a certain sort of entities, demons, what have you. Um, is that do you ever see any crossover? Like in, in this instance, the gentleman who got uh, scratched on his chest or clawed, would, would that would he have been have to have been of a, a faith of something? I mean, obviously, no, not he at wasn't all. Invi- no, it's just no, because he's part of the culture. I see. It so, has nothing to do with whether or not you personally have any faith. It has to do with the area you live in. And even that can be different because, for instance, in um, Australia, uh-huh. there's a, a strong Asian presence right? as well as a Western presence. So there is crossover there. You can have um, Hindu demons attacking Christian families. I see. And do you think this is something that is helped with the manifestation and fear within someone's own mind? Or do you think that the, that spirits uh, kind of attach themselves uh, culturally, whether it's to a house or to a being, and they kind of follow around and start uh, get, connecting themselves to another host? I, I'm sorry, but I, I don't really understand the question. So, so you're saying like a, like a Hindi uh, evil entity could attack a Christian in Australia because 
of the presence of Hindu, Hindi, Hindi, correct? Hindu. Hindu, excuse me, Hindu. Uh, um, and so what, why do you think they're... Because the people who had lived in that house previously were Hindu, and they had set up certain um, psychic boundaries, and mm-hmm. they put certain relics around, so they had already infused the house with their beliefs. I see. And the property. So that's why this family that happened to be Christian was getting nailed by something Hindu. Right, okay. And then going back to Annabelle, um, in a case where this doll obviously was... would, it, would we, Could we call that Annabelle was a, a doll that was possessed? Uh, no, only human beings are possessed. So... Uh, it, there, was an atta- there is an attachment to Annabelle. And, you know, people often ask, why don't you just destroy these things? Mm-hmm. Well, because if you destroy it, you can't destroy energy. You can only mm-hmm. destroy the thing that it's anchored to. And as long as it's anchored to that doll, it can't get out and hurt anybody. We've got it sealed in the box, and it is surrounded by relics and prayers and blessed salt, and it's locked down. So it's in a prison of a sort. The museum was never truly open to the public. It was always by invitation only. And it's it's more of a repository of evil so that others are not hurt by it. I see. Um, are there other, any other relics like this um, around that are uh, basically protected with relics? Yeah, lots of them. Right. Absolutely. The, the entire museum is constantly blessed. Right. So I'm, the, what, what I keep thinking about is you, your grandmother is almost like desensitized in a sense that she finds no fear in the engagement with spirits. Um, your grandfather experienced it when he was young. They, so apparently they're, they, they, they kind of, did they ever talk about if they were ever scared? Did they kind of, were they oh, sure. desensitized? And, my my I mean, grandfather was rarely, rarely afraid. Rarely. Mm-hmm. It, it happened, but rarely. My mm-hmm. grandmother, Amityville, scared the hell out of her. Mm-hmm. It really did. It had a, a strong impact on her. Uh, she said it was as close to hell as she ever hopes to get. And I know uh, that, you know, there's a lot of talk that Amityville was fake and everything, but I knew George and Kathy Lutz, and... Mm-hmm. I know my grandparents, and I promise you, that was real. What was it about Amityville that your grandmother found to be so frightening? The extraordinary power of the evil entities in that household. It was just overwhelming to her, and it truly, psychically, was overwhelming to her. Now, would, now, basically, will a demon just basically show her, show you something frightening? Will, can they actually harm you in a way to where they could literally just, just kill you? Uh, yes. Explain to me some of the things a demon, what are some of the uh, ter- uh, symptoms of having a demonic or uh, entity within your house or that's attached themselves to something in your house or you're being starting to become possessed? What, what is that whole process like? Well, you know, this is a great question, and the first thing I'd like to say, because it, it, it's something that I think is important to bring up, is although you see thousands of people online 
and you hear about all of these paranormal groups and there's this idea of paranormal unity and everybody should support everybody the truth is this is not a game it's not a hobby and it shouldn't be treated that way because it is deadly serious deadly and although ghosts are normally harmless because they're just people and most people are normally harmless and even the times when you're afraid it's just in, because they're trying to get your attention and you're you've misinterpreted it in reality demonic entities which are rare when they come they can be deadly and i've got two cases in mind where they ended in death um i get calls daily where people say there's a demon in my house and there is almost never a demon in someone's house right you know it's something where the power of it is so strong so overwhelming that there is no doubt what you're dealing with i mean for instance i was in a household where i was in bed with my partner um we were in our sleeping bags the kid had given up his bed reluctantly so that we could spend the night there and he was uh on the floor across the room and my partner starts complaining that i'm kicking the bed i'm like i'm not kicking the bed really and he settles down and then the next thing you know he's yelling at me again and i said i'm not kicking the bed look my feet are in the sleeping bag as soon as i said that the bed picked up off the ground flew across the room smashed down and broke into pieces that was not demonic that was one pissed off kid who had hooked into the energy in that home and had created poltergeist phenomena he didn't do it on purpose it was subconsciously but i'd been in that house two years earlier we had cleansed it nothing had happened for two years until we had upset this boy so the boy laying on the floor you're talking about did that with his brain unintentionally did it with his brain exactly wow i mean you you literally saw a bed get picked up off the floor i was in the bed with my partner and it did that yeah my goodness so um and so something like that happens are you not frightened by it i mean I haven't been afraid of the paranormal since my first night. My first night scared the hell out of me, but it also was a baptism of fire, and I've never been afraid since. Well, let's talk about that. How old were you, uh, your the first this first experience of yours? Uh, uh, well, I had been having psychic experiences throughout my childhood, but when I was sixteen, I had been afraid of the dark my whole life, mm-hmm. and. My grandfather decided, eh, it's a good time for you to go on your first case. Mm-hmm. So he took me into one of these Hollywood blockbuster-style poltergeist cases mm-hmm. in Lee, Massachusetts. And it was this tiny little house, really tiny, and <clears throat> two stories. And the, the husband and wife met us outside because they were afraid to go in there alone. As soon as we walked in, you could hear the pounding in the walls so loud it was shaking the house and as we were walking up the stairs you can 
you could feel it vibrating the walls and you could hear clawing and growling coming from the walls. And as I got to the top, I looked in the bathroom and the crucifix was upside down. There was a pull down um, set of stairs that led to the attic and it was pulled down. Now, another night, the woman was sleeping alone. Her husband worked overnight at the mill and one of these hulking black demonic beings came into the room, picked up her crucifix or her rosary beads from the bedpost and twirled them in his hand as if to say, you think these are gonna help you? She ran past him and tried to get to her kids. As she reached for the door, which the child's bedroom door, which she couldn't open even though there was no lock on it. Those stairs came smashing down on her head and knocked her out. She did manage to uh, wake up, grab the kids, the doors had opened, and she got them out of the house for the night. So here this thing is, it's pulled down again. And my grandfather says, Chris, I want you to sit in the master bedroom and wait for something to happen. Don't turn on any lights. Like, um, 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 okay. <laughs> so yeah, they go no downstairs. No yeah. So they go downstairs. My grandfather was a friggin' sadist. Um, yeah. I mean, is there a point? Like, if was he, was he, do, so you said it's trial by fire. So he's trying to do this to you to what? Just kind of get you to basically used to it and say, hey, kind of show you that there's nothing. I know you're going to tell us the rest of the story here, but it, so he, he, he's not trying to harm you. He's literally thinking this is something that's going to help you. Uh, my grandfather joined, uh, first he joined the Marines at 16, got kicked mm -hmm. out because his father pulled him right out. But at 17, he joined the Navy and went to war, World War II. So seeing mm -hmm. me afraid of the dark, I think just made him crazy, and he wanted to make, make me face my fears. I see. So you. So they went downstairs, and they mm -hmm. got a, a pot from the kitchen, and they lit some holy church incense. They were trying to stir things up re through religious provocation. You know, a lot of these teams online, they go in and they start talking to whatever's there, trying to get it to show itself and yelling at it and everything. That's incredibly stupid and dangerous. You know, you use religious provocation. You use your faith to protect you. Otherwise, you are in danger or you're endangering others. So they managed to smudge throughout the whole downstairs, but every single time they tried to bring that pot upstairs, the incense would go out. Now, this is stuff that normally burns forever. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I'm still up there in the dark listening to growling right behind my ear in the wall. I'm like, Gramps, I hear growling. I hear this. I hear that. Okay, Chris, let us know if you hear anything else. Okay. So after an hour, another man named Paul Bartz came up and relieved me. He, he stayed up there and I went downstairs. And we tried some more religious provocation at midnight and nothing happened. The pounding had stopped. Everything was quiet. Uh, the lady and I went out to the 24-hour diner. We bought some sandwiches to bring back for everyone. And there's a reason I bring this up. 
at at that point, we were on a radio program with Brian Dow on WTIC 1060 AM overnight, the whole night. And at 3 AM, I'm sitting in a recliner downstairs with my grandfather and the woman. And upstairs, Paul Bartz is with the husband. And there, we're all on phones. And we're talking to Brian Dow. And just at three o'clock, these two hulking black shapes come walking down the stairs and they're standing on the landing looking at us. And we're telling Brian Dow what's happening and people all over are talking about how cold it's getting for them. This is the middle of the summer and how their rooms are getting freezing cold. That's something is growing. So, so you guys were on a radio program from each part of the house. Yeah, yeah, right? from two different rooms, yeah. Okay. And then at about 3.15, just before 3.15, the woman screams that her face is on fire. My, and we're in the dark. My grandfather right. turns the flashlight on her face, and on the left side of her face, you can watch three claw marks appearing and blood dripping down off of her face. Then t that pot with the holy church incense in it uh -huh. came flying out of the kitchen around the corner and straight at my head i'm sitting there with a cross in my hand in one hand the phone in the other hand and I'm, under my breath i'm saying by the power of jesus christ i command you to be gone by the power of jesus christ i command you to be gone the pot flies just misses me hits the blinds and the window behind me the the blinds fly up the pot is crumpled but the window didn't break. I say, oh shit, over the radio. <laughs> the woman's screaming that she wants out of the house. And I think, okay, that's a great idea. So I get out of the chair, I run to the front door, the lights are going on and off, the door won't open. We had just been through that friggin' door to go to the restaurant. And it's it won't open. The recliner, I've just been sitting, sitting in, flips over and tumbles halfway across the room. Then the door opens by itself, and the lady and I get out of the house, leaving my grandfather there, sitting there by himself in the dark with these two hulking black entities and all of this stuff going on around him. One of us got physically ill. I can't, honest to God, I don't remember if it was lady or myself, but that was my first night on the case. So, did these two? You're in the dark, but you were able, even in the dark, you were able to see two hulking black masses. Oh, you they say were blacker back? than black. Yeah, they were blacker than black. And were they like translucent black, like a shadow, or were they just real physical? No, they objects? they were no, they were. Translucent means you can see through it. There's nothing right. you could see through this thing. Nothing. These really? things were solid. I mean, and, I don't think they were truly solid, but they sure looked it. Did they? Could you hear them bouncing down the stairs, or was it just like you? They kind of appeared. No, to... nothing that I recall. I don't recall that at all. No. Um, when they came down the stairs, we all saw it. We all reacted, uh, but no, we couldn't hear them. They were silent. Now, was your grandfather just as calm as could be during this whole thing, or was does yeah. he get kind of revved up? Yeah. Is he have any worry at all in his in his in his body 
Sometimes. Yeah, yeah. sometimes. But not that day. No. My goodness. And um, Bishop McKenna, well, Father McKenna at the time, uh, came into the house and he did a, an, uh, a cleansing of the home. Uh, as I recall, I believe the house filled up with black smoke and then everything was gone. But, and this is important, um, whatever vulnerabilities this family had, whatever it was that made them vulnerable versus other families, was never dealt with. And that's really important on these cases. It's something my grandparents never really understood. It's something that I only figured out, and actually my grandfather and I used to have discussions about. He, he just couldn't accept the psychological component to this. He just blamed demons all the time. And unfortunately, and I, one year later, my grandmother, my grandfather, and myself were back in that house. Fires were starting on glass uh, window frames, you know, on the, on the glass covering, to, uh, not windows, um, picture frames. I'm sorry. Right. And um, the woman had been down in the basement doing laundry. And she felt this piercing in her scalp. And she reached up and she pulled what looked like two claws out of her, out of her head. And she gave these to me. And I brought them to um, UConn, University of Connecticut, zoology department, and had them examined. Turns out they weren't claws. They were the uh, first premolar of a one to two year old domesticated pig that had been broken in half and the roots that looked like claws were what were stuck in her head. You now, said pigs, molars? Of course, molars? Yeah, molar, you know, tooth. Yeah, like tooth, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, a pig is, a, a, from biblical times, uh, associated with demons. So it, it, it has a cultural impact. Right. You mentioned about how people tend to, whether it's for entertainment value, whatever, they walk into her house, they start yelling at spirits. They, like they're, it's almost as if they're just trying to capture something on film, like these ghost, exactly. hunt, ghost hunting shows. They yeah. just, how, how does it make you feel that, I mean, that these shows, I mean, I'm not sure if, A, there's any value to this whatsoever with what you do, or if this really plays a part in why people, or it actually is maybe an, an, an something that uh, it can have a negative impact on what you do because people are like, you never see anything on this show. These people walk in, they're like, oh, yeah, I felt this, I felt this. How, how does a show like this, are these some of the people you're referring to that are messing with something they shouldn't? Are they yeah. somebody? Not uh, only them, all of the YouTube guys too. But the problem is, I mean, there's that one. What's it called? Ghost Adventures. Yeah, I'm not too sure. Uh, uh yeah, that's a famous one, and I. It's the only one I've ever watched <clears throat> at all, and I've watched two episodes of it. Mm -hmm. And what I saw made me so upset because no one in their right mind would do these kind of things if they knew anything. And they didn't, obviously, or they didn't care. Because from what I can tell, the guy that is in charge of that show, I think his name is Zach something. Uh -huh. um, uh, Baggins. That's it. Zach Baggins. 
Um, I don't think the man believes in the paranormal at all. Um, right. I, I think he's just a, a great showman, and that's it. But I've seen, I've read articles where he has accused an entire... There was a town out west where witches would go to once every summer for about a week, and they would have this wonderful gathering, and it was a, a wonderful, you know, time for them. Witches are not evil, per se, any more than in, a Christian is evil, per se. You know, yeah, there are bad apples in any religion, but yeah. that doesn't make all witches evil. You know, right. as a matter of fact, witchcraft is probably the first religion ever. It's been around for 35,000 years. Wow. Um, but this guy, Zach Baggins, actually accused them on his show of cursing the entire town and demons were running amok through the entire town and it was these witches' fault. I thought that is the most irresponsible thing anybody could do. How could you do that? For ratings. It just, yeah. it, it made me sick. Yeah. So, so no, I, I don't watch these programs. I, I don't like these programs. Uh, the And I've got friends who've been on these programs and the one thing people need to understand is they are entertainment and the people who call themselves researchers are answerable to the producers. The producers are in charge, not the people on the screen. Right. Yeah, just in my my uh, my encounter with working with reality TV shows is is there's more writers involved than you think. It's oh yeah, really, it's it is more scripted than people think. It's yeah, um, they know the idea. You could you can have a camera follow someone around for twenty four hours and they can make you look like anything they want. Yep. Uh, but and then it, the truth is, hauntings don't happen on a production schedule. Mm-hmm. Ever. Right. Yeah. So you think that's on purpose? Do you think that uh? Entities and spirits and, and demons are ju- are purposely not wanting to be on this TV show or to be caught on tape. How, what are your thoughts on the? Um, I mean, because there are some, there is some vid- footage out there of when you see something that are that's unexplained. Oh but yeah, no, there, there's good footage out there. There is. Right. There's plenty of evidence. And anybody mm-hmm. who doesn't believe in the paranormal, I'm fine with that. Uh, my job's not to convince them. My right. job is to get the word out for people who actually need help. If you right, know right. you've got a paranormal problem or you think you have a paranormal problem, I want you to know that we exist. But right. um, my job's not to make you believe. I, I don't, I'm happy if you don't believe because chances are pretty good that if you don't believe, you're not going to mess with it and you're not going to get hurt. Well, well, and, and, and real quick, before we get back, I'm taking us off track a little bit. If there was anything out there, a video or something out there that is the most what is the most convincing evidence you see out there that ha- has been captured on video? I don't honestly pay much attention to that stuff. I, I right. really don't. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. I was at the um, exorcism of Maurice Theriault, mm-hmm. and that's on video. Um, right. That's pretty convincing, actually. But, uh, yeah, there, there's plenty of evidence out there where things are flying around. The problem is, nowadays... Unless I'm actually involved or I know the people involved, it's too easy to fake evidence. And I have trouble believing it unless I know the providence of it. Right. 
I'm probably a greater skeptic than most people. Yeah, and, and that's another thing I want to dive into. I think uh, we, from what, when we chatted before the show um, a while back, you mentioned more times than not when you're receiving a phone call and speaking to someone, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, that they actually, you have other people other than yourself or a theologist, you have people who are actually doctors um, and such who a lot of times you're pushing people off into the, into the direction of help that they actually need versus saying, Hey, yes, there is a possession you're dealing with, or yes, there's a spirit. Um, am, am I, am I explaining that? that right? No, that, that's absolutely correct. 90% right. of our cases have nothing to do with the paranormal. Really? 90%, uh, well, 90% of them can be explained away. Uh, then there's, you know, uh, the, the vast majority of the paranormal ones are self-manifestation, which means psychics or children who are hooked into some energy, and they are making things happen around them. And we're seeing an awful lot of that during the pandemic in lockdown. No kidding. Uh, because, yeah, people are getting pent up, the emotions are high, and things are manifesting from our own fear. Fear is really the great enemy. Uh, if we can get past our fear we can get past a lot of the paranormal problems that are around us. Not mm. all of them, don't get me wrong. There are really, truly horrifying cases out there, and that's where we're needed. Um, right. But more often than not, our job is to get you the help you need, regardless of whether it's paranormal or not. Mm. And we will send you for psychological evaluation. We'll send you to a doctor to be evaluated. <laughs> Um, or for counseling, or whatever we think you need, as well as perhaps the paranormal. Because mental illness doesn't preclude the paranormal. As a matter of fact, it makes it quite more possible for the paranormal to latch onto you. That's the vulnerability that you have that we now need to deal with. Yes, we'll deal with the paranormal, but we also have to deal with the other issues. Right. So... One thing we haven't really uh, spoke about is you talk about how your grandmother has psychic abilities, mm -hmm. uh, but you also have uh, ab uh, have uh, abilities as well. I, I do, but so, um, they make me uncomfortable. Yesterday, for instance, um, a, a young lady in Poland asked me to channel her father. And she had asked me this before, and I'd done it before. It's not something I like, and I certainly didn't like it last night. Um, it's, um, I've never been comfortable with my abilities. In college, I, I, you know, I used to read auras, and I would terrify people, because people don't want to hear the truth. They want to hear comforting lies. And I'm mm -hmm. not built that way. I can't tell lies. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I can, be diplomatic but I can't actually go out and lie and you know if I if I have to send a message I'm gonna send the truth I, and unfortunately that's not always welcome and so I do everything I can not to use my abilities I see so um, are, you, are you able to elaborate at all about the father that you um, of the of the girl that you were Speaking only, only, yeah. no, not really. I mean, it, these are the kind of things that are um, private. That okay. The thing you should understand about um, one of the differences between my grandparents and myself, 
uh, one of many actually, um, in their day, they didn't have the internet. And the only way they can get the word out about who they were and what they were doing so that they could help others was by advertising the work they did and advertising their cases. Because I saw firsthand how that publicity destroyed families and the harm it did, we have a policy of never, ever sharing any information that could identify a family or any personal right. information that might possibly hurt uh, a client. Sure. I, I would imagine you have to follow HIPAA as well as any healthcare provider. Uh, we are not healthcare providers. Uh, we are not okay. licensed healthcare providers. I mean, yes, we do have doctors and we have psychologists and they do follow that. Uh, we have our own code of ethics, which is extremely similar to HIPAA. Uh, but it is a little bit different because there are other issues that we also deal with that I needed to address. Uh, for instance, one of the major problems in this work is ego. Um, if you're not in the paranormal world, chances are you're going to look at us as either crazy or as superheroes. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy for people who get involved in the paranormal to get really swelled heads. I, okay. I've, I've seen it too many times. And once ego is in the house, uh, God is no longer present. And mm -hmm. you're not able to be effective anymore. So I do everything I can to make sure that myself and the people that are in the foundation are always focused on our clients and not focused on our own uh, fame. Right. Which I'm sure it's hard for anybody. I mean, it's almost human to want. I mean, like, for instance, I would imagine when uh, you're in Costa Rica, I'm seeing a whole bunch of stuff just on the Internet. Apparently, people yeah. are following you around like uh, George Clooney and if you were in New York City or something. But it's it is the strangest, most surreal experience I've ever had in my entire life. Right. So. With that, I mean, I, I has to play. I mean, you know, everyone wants to be successful at what they do. Everyone wants to be good at what they do. I mean, if anything, when people start noticing you, it's because you've done something right. You've done something good. And, of course, there's that whole thing where, you know, for anybody that starts doing something good and then they become, you know, fame, whether it's whether you like it or not. You know, how are you able to utilize that for the positive? I know from talking to you before, that's not your ambition is to become some famous influencer. In fact, you know, you've spoke about how that can be, you know, something that can actually be a negative thing in, in your field. How right. can you use all this fame coming your way as a positive in what you're doing? You know, up until recently, I've done this 40 years um, on and off. Um, I took a break when my son was growing up, but only so, you know, he wouldn't be exposed. Um, but up until recently, I, I liked my anonymity. Um, I didn't want people to know who I was. But when my grandmother, when we announced her retirement, now she's been retired well over 20 years, but when we announced her retirement, then I had to step forward. Otherwise, the work was going to end, and that we couldn't allow. And my board of directors has made it quite clear to me so many times because I fought it 
that I am the public face of the foundation. And if we're going to recruit quality people, if we're going to accomplish our goals of educating the next generation and so forth, I do have to get out there. So that's why I'm doing this today and all of these other things that I do. Uh, and there's quite a bit more that is coming up that is going to raise our profile um, worldwide, unfortunately. Well, fortunately, yeah. but right. unfortunately for me. <laughs> right. Oh. You know, and I, I think um, I'll probably uh, end up in a country that doesn't know me very well, where I can do my work and run the foundation, but still have my anonymity. Because mm -hmm. I, it's not something I'm comfortable with. And you mentioned success. And I guess the thing I'd have to say there is um, let's talk about the definition of success. For me, success is being able to help people and to accomplish my goals. I, I would argue that vast wealth and celebrity is uh, not success. <laughs> that is, uh, when, when you're making vast wealth at the expense of others, you're making it at the expense of your own soul. And mm -hmm. that does, that's not successful. That, that, that's a failure. Right. Now, you've said, you have mentioned that, uh, you know, like when I, when I would ask you, why do you do this? What are you doing? What is the purpose? And you mentioned three things. That the first thing is that you want to be, fair, be there for the people who need you, that need this. You're there for the client. Um, that right. the second thing is you want to educate the public, which I'm sure there's uh, so many challenges in that in itself especially especially in the kind of environment we're in where if people from all angles are just pointing saying this is you know not real or you know people are making it harder for you to do your job and then the third thing which probably again all these all work together is that you want to educate the next generation of researchers right well, there, some... there, i have other goals as well right. um for instance we have two psychic support groups uh mm -hmm. when the first movie came out we started getting uh, calls for help from all over the world and my grandmother had always helped um, psychics with their abilities and mm -hmm. with my background in psychology I also saw a, a chance to help these people who were having panic attacks anxiety attacks because of their empathic natures and give them some support so we created a psychic support group in English and one in Spanish and now we've got uh, well over 800 people around the world mm. in these groups uh, and that that is extremely important to me and it truly is only for psychics and we protect them completely uh, mm. it's not a place you go for readings or anything of that sort um, it's a place where we help you to cope with your abilities to accept your abilities or even to suppress your abilities I see um, but on the other on other things we've got other projects in the works um we're working on an education center and spiritual retreat here in costa rica mm -hmm. uh and you are the very first people to hear that out loud um oh, thank you that's cool it's uh something that would really some be a, a lifelong dream of mine uh to be able to help educate the next generation and to also help others to uh, find peace right um i know there's a lot of moving parts here to make it worthwhile uh, it sounds like you have some awesome awesome people 
who oh, I sure dedicate do. a lot of time who have that uh, you have built this big network to help people that would probably this show we could probably make into a five part three hour <laughs> each time kind of show talking about all the people that are involved every you know the things that go through but one thing i i want you want there's two things i really want to know and i'm sure a lot of people are curious first of all and I will ask them both at the same time, and you can tackle however you want. The first thing is, how do you go about finding the people to help? And what does it consist of? Is it a lot of therapists? Uh, is it what kind of doctors, uh, theologists, psychics? And how do you get them to be part of this? And how do you filter out the people you are maybe have the wrong motivation to want to help? And then the second thing is, how does somebody reach out to you who needs the help? All right. Well, we don't actually recruit very often. Once in a while, I'll meet somebody that truly impresses me, and I'll invite them to join. Most of the time, they come to us. They find us. And we are very, very careful about who we accept. We don't accept many. Um, because either these are lost people looking for something, or they are people who are very egotistical, or people who want to be associated with the Warren name uh, for their own purposes. Uh, we are looking for people who don't have the ego, who are dedicated nurturers, who want to who want to help, and who can be taught. Uh, we've got priests, we've got doctors, we've got psychologists, but we've also got uh, perfectly, we've got bank presidents. <laughs> You know, oh, wow. yeah, I know. But honestly, she's an amazing medium and empathic person and one of the most compassionate people you could ever imagine. Um, flies in the face of every stereotype you could have for a banker. Um, <laughs> you know, but the, these are um, the type of people we're looking for. People that can that are open to learning, people who are dedicated, people who are good researchers. Uh, because we are a research foundation. Mm -hmm. uh, and what was the second part of your question? Oh, uh, yeah. I, probably, I should have probably just asked them and, and when it was ready. But I guess, how does someone reach out to your organization, oh, yeah. your foundation for help? Well, uh, there are a number of ways. Uh, you can find us on Facebook under Warren Legacy Foundation. You can mm -hmm. find us under Chris McKinnell. Find me under Chris McKinnell. And I do answer people. I, I'm, I'm not shy. Uh, mm -hmm. We also can be found at Warren Legacy Foundation at gmail.com. Okay. And if anybody wants to learn more about uh, what we do and about our cases, about my grandparents, about what, how to protect yourself and all of these, and actually there's an amazing video of telekinesis, uh, which I recommend uh, by my colleague, Catherine Cirillos, it's also there, um, is The Warren Files on the U our YouTube channel. Okay. Now, there's also Warren Files out there. Right. God knows why. But if you go to The Warren Files, that's us, you will find uh, well over 80 videos. We're going to a haunted sanitarium here in Costa Rica on Monday, and I'll be uh, putting up video on that as well. Normally... We do not go into abandoned buildings. I am against it, uh, right. but 
Uh, for my friends, I will do that because, you know, I'm here and they, <laughs> yeah. they're all excited and they really want to take me there. So I'm like, all right, maybe I can help pass over a few spirits and give them some peace. For that, it'll be worthwhile. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Jesus, a lot. I, I, again, I appreciate uh, you sharing a lot of stories. I know, again, uh, we could be on here for hours. So it's like picking and choosing what to discuss. I know you're very busy. I know that you were able to get some time with us today. And we very much appreciate it. The, the last question. Yeah, I'm I sorry have, it took huh? so long. I, I Really? Oh, no, you're doing the good work. I mean, we're we're here. I mean, we're, we're doing a podcast here. <laughs> I mean, you're yeah. what you're doing is completely. Uh, at a different level than what Tony, not to diminish what Tony and I do, because it does take a lot of talent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, but uh, I do want to ask this, and if I'm if if I if I may ask, what I know you're mentioning you, you uh, the, you're doing some work and uh, kind of like a, a, re- a spiritual retreat in Costa Rica. Is there anything currently any projects that you you're able to announce or anything that you're doing currently or that we can look forward to in the future? Uh, there are a few other things in the works. Uh, nothing that I'm prepared to announce right now. Um, okay. But I think uh, that, well, to be honest, I, th- I think it's going to make my life a lot more uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's good to hear. I'm a... Uncomfortable? Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. I know you did. Yeah, no, oh, I thought you said comfortable. Sorry. I'm like, that's good. No, no. No, uncomfortable. Oh gosh. Uh, well, but I'm I'm here for the next three months, and yeah. I'm looking forward to it. There's a lot to learn. Uh, mm-hmm. It is honestly Costa Rica for anybody who hasn't been here who doesn't know anything about it. It's one of the most beautiful places in the entire world. The people are incredibly friendly. They're happy people. Mm-hmm. Um, there are 87, 87 volcanoes in this tiny country. Most wow. of which, thankfully, are extinct. Um, right. <laughs> but the mountains are absolutely breathtaking. The wildlife and the natural wonders are beautiful. The food is amazing. The The people are beautiful. And I honestly think that uh, I could I could settle here. This is a, an amazing place. I've heard great, great things about it. Um, Tony, is there any anything that you would like to ask? I mean, I've kind of I've devoured no. and hogged all the, the time with Chris. Yeah, no, I you asked great questions, and those were great stories. And uh, I'll be sure not to mess with any uh, type of paranormal oh, entities you know, in my future. There is one thing I'd like to uh, make clear to everyone, and this is really important, uh, and it's something I, I share in almost every interview. Spirit communication is truly dangerous, and people shouldn't be doing it. And that does, you know, everybody thinks Ouija board terrible. Well, yeah, but it isn't the Ouija board that's the problem. It's not the seance. It's not the automatic writing. It's the intention. To contact spirit. Tarot cards are perfectly harmless until you try to use them to somehow contact a spirit. Because all you're doing is opening a door that anything can come through. And if you happen to be somebody who has something negative that they can latch onto, they will be attracted to it. Uh, my grandmother used to say, like attracts like. 
When you put out positive energy, you get positive back. When you put out negative energy, you get negative back. And if you're a teenager going through puberty and your emotions are all raw, and then you're doing the Ouija board or something, then you could easily open up a, a Pandora's box. Hmm. Yeah, yeah my kid, I was going to say my kids have asked for one, and I told them no a while ago. Right. Yeah. Don't let them make one either because that's even worse. Because when you make it, then you're putting intention into what you're making as well. Oh, my gosh. Tony, just buy it. Buy it for him. Yeah. <laughs> no, Hell no! For God's sake! <laughs> I'll, yeah, buy one, I, I'll buy one for my wife. Is yeah. this your ex-wife? <laughs> no. I'm, I'm joking. I Not love my yet. Wife. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, yeah, yeah. you don't have to ask me. I was in the military. And me and my uh, bunkmate uh, were like, hey, let's do it. We really, really, we kind of felt freaked out. We threw it in the garbage uh, that week, that Friday, the, uh, by Sunday morning when we came in. We start yelling back. at each other to say, who did this? Who put this in here? And I, I still, I have to believe he or someone did it because I just don't want to deal with the facts. No, so I'm like, they, you know what? They we, come back. Yeah, like, let's not, let's not mess with this thing. That was years ago. Thankfully, I haven't had any of that. So, and like, I'm with, I, I will listen to you completely 100%. Chris, I, yeah, I won't be dabbling in any. I, I just feel like, why mess around with that? Why? Absolutely. So, but hey, thanks again. I would love to be able to stay in contact with you. Love to hear about the journey you're taking. I would love to have you back on the show at some point. I know we may need to schedule sometime soon to have you back sometime in a year. Sounds like your time <laughs> is just going to continue getting less and less, you know, frequent time where, you know, we are able to do this. So thank you so very much, Chris. Is there anything else you would like to add uh, before we, we end the show? I'd just like to say it was a real pleasure. Thank you, guys. You are yeah. really a lot of fun. I, I appreciate it. Yes, thanks. So, yeah, everyone, well, thank you. go to YouTube, look up, just uh, search The Warren Files, and, again, go to The Warren Files. Um, that's under there. It says over 10,000 subscribers and growing. There's a ton of videos there, a lot of things like understanding the truth behind the true story of Annabelle. Uh, listening to uh, a 300-year-old haunted house, the story of Ed and Lorraine uh, Warren's horrifying experience at Amityville. I mean, it's all there. It's a great content. Go to the go there. You can also find find them at the Warren uh, is excuse me the Warren Legacy Foundation uh, for paranormal research on Facebook. Again, Chris, yep. thank you so very much for joining us today. Uh, and I hope to get you back on the show sometime soon and wish you the best of luck on your journey. God bless you guys. Take thank care. Thank you. All right. All right. Thank you, Chris. All right, Tony, get us out. Buddy. All right. All right.